0: My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio.
1: The term two spirit is an indigenous word that was introduced in 1990 at the Native American LGBTQ international gathering in Winnipeg. And it was brought to the gathering as a way to recenter Indigenous perspectives, worldviews, and knowledge around gender and sexuality. There were all kinds of terms that were non-Indigenous that were used within the academy or within literature. That's the voice
0: the of John Siliboy. He's today's guest on Talking Radical Radio. This show brings you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are involved in many different struggles, talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening can strengthen all of our efforts to change the world. John Sillaboy is Mi'kmaq, and he grew up as part of Eskasoni and Millbrook First Nations in Nova Scotia. When he was 20 years old, he had the opportunity to go to Costa Rica as part of a Canada World Youth Programme. It was a tremendous experience. He learned a lot, and he found the culture there resonated in many ways with Mi'kmaq culture. He ended up doing an undergraduate degree in Costa Rica, and spent 17 years living and working mostly there. One part of Silla Boy's journey was that he began to come out as gay early during his time in Central America. He moved back to Mi'kma'ki, the territory of the Mi'kmaq people, in 2007 to become a policy analyst for the Atlantic Policy Congress of First Nations Chief Secretariat, and at that point he came out to his family and community. It was, he said, quote, a matter of confirmation rather than revelation, end quote, and his family was very supportive. Not long after that, he first encountered the term Two-Spirit, which had origins in an international gathering of gay and lesbian indigenous people in Winnipeg in 1990. While it is an English language term, and it is pan-indigenous meaning it groups together people of many different nations that had many different ways of doing gender and sexuality before colonization, it is nonetheless embraced by many indigenous people as a way to assert their histories and present-day realities that are quite distinct from LGBTQ settlers while using it as an entry point to the vast diversity within indigenous experiences. It was a term that syllaboy actively took up and began using. Then, in 2010, a particular Mi'kmaq community experienced a number of people dying by suicide in a relatively short time, and four of the ten people who died were two-spirit. Many indigenous communities experience tragically high rates of suicide connected to the ongoing traumas of colonization. In this context, Siliboy and his friend Duma Young decided that they needed to take action with an eye specifically to the ways in which colonization impacts two-spirit people in their region. To do so, they began the process of founding an organization that eventually took on the name Wabanaki Two-Spirit Alliance, and Wabanaki is a term that encompasses a number of indigenous peoples and their territories in northeastern North America. They knew that their initial priority had to be healing and community building. They had to scrounge for funding, but Sillaboy and Young had plenty of connections to networks within Indigenous service, governance, and academic spaces, and they were able to both find resources and establish a broad reach for their work. They organized a powerful initial gathering, and then many more like it over the years. In the decade and more since the organization was founded, their work has also included things like building capacity in communities, research, knowledge sharing, and advocacy. They center culture in their work. They do their best to support two-spirit people doing similar work in their own local communities. They've worked a lot with mainstream LGBTQ organizations to build relationships and to steadily push to expand understanding, spaces, and resources for two-spirit people in those contexts. Their research work has done things like capturing the needs of two-spirit people in order to articulate them to service providers and funders. Their advocacy has included pushing for more formal and ongoing inclusion of two-spirit voices in First Nations governance structures. They're developing their own ethics framework to guide outside researchers who might want to do research involving two-spirit people in the region. And they're challenging mainstream data-gathering organizations, including Statistics Canada, to do better at recognizing the realities of two-spirit people. Sillaboy has been particularly pleased to see over the last ten years the extensive involvement of elders in the ongoing conversations that have been thinking through Two-Spirit experiences and identity in terms of culture and teachings. He's also encouraged that the Alliance has been part of broader efforts that have led to significant reductions in suicide by Two-Spirit people in the region. And, last year, the Alliance got federal funding and was able to hire staff for the first time. I speak with Siliboy about his own journey, about Two-Spirit identity, and about the Wabanaki Two-Spirit Alliance.
1: My name is John R. Sillaboy. I am from Escazoni and Millbrook First Nations. I live in Djiboutuk, what we call Halifax, and I'm the interim executive director of the Wabanaki Two-Spirit Alliance. The Wabanaki Two-Spirit Alliance, or W2SA, is a grassroots organization that helps to build capacity for Two-Spirit folks in areas of health, education, employment, and overall well-being. The idea is that we provide advocacy, knowledge sharing. We also try to do research and promote gatherings for Two-Spirit folks in our region, the Wabanaki region, by is an ancestral word, and that encompasses Mi'kmaq, which is also a term that we use for this area. And that covers the territory of Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, PEI, the Gaspé region, Newfoundland and Labrador, and the state of Maine in the U.S. The family that I come from has been involved in activities that have to do with community well-being, language preservation and promotion. So since I was young, I've been involved in various things. As a youth in Millbrook, for example, I started navigating different things around, you know, activities for adolescents in what we call youth councils at the time. Then later, I went to finish my high school in Quebec, and then went on to post-secondary in Quebec. And going into my 20th year at CEGEP, there was an opportunity for me to go on this exchange program called Canada World Youth. And as a 20-year-old coming from a First Nations community with limited resources and a poor family background, this offered me an opportunity to know another part of the world. So I'd gone to Costa Rica. And that program really was an eye-opening experience because then I started to learn more about environmental awareness and social development from an international perspective and at the same time learning Spanish. And I really connected to the culture because I looked at the cultural context of Costa Rica as very similar to Mi'kmaq, you know, how they're connected to family, their language, their traditions, and all this. I eventually did ditch my studies in Quebec and started university in Costa Rica. So I started in fresh. and then I just did my undergrad in Costa Rica in international relations, which allowed me to expand even more knowledge in the area of development and social awareness and cultural awareness. And coming back and forth in Canada and back to my community, Millbrook and Eskasoni, making sure that I maintain my language, I speak Mi'kmaq as well. Then I ended up staying in Costa Rica for 17 years almost. But I eventually made my way back to Mi'kmaq, or my ancestral territory here. In 2017, I started working as a policy analyst at Atlantic Policy Congress, a First Nations Chief Secretariat. My work started going back to being involved in community development, economic development, health and education. And My interest in research. I had been out since I was 20 years old or 21 back in Custer. I came out then, but I hadn't been out to my community here in Mi'kmaq. I hadn't been out to my family yet, but it was just a matter of confirmation rather than revelation. Back in 2007, I made a concerted effort to come out to my family, and my family was very supportive. But then I began to get involved in different activities that have to do with being true spirit. And that's the first time I've heard that term. And then I wanted to know more. And I started analyzing and studying literature and reading up about the context and the conceptualization of Two-Spirit. And that's where my grassroots and research activism started in 2010. And it wasn't by accident. Something happened in one of our communities that triggered that. And it was suicide. We had health issues with some people who were dealing with addictions and some mental health situations, but also they're dealing with their own self-identity. So these folks who were in this one community didn't make it. Four out of 10 that had experienced suicides that year were too scared. So a friend of mine named Duma Young knew I was working in a policy organization with a huge networking ability around the Atlantic region. And he had a lot of networking ability as well. We got together and we said, we have to do something. The impact of those suicides really affected the community wholly. But also it affected the Two-Spirit community that was just emerging to understand who we are as Two-Spirit. There have been people using terms like gay, lesbian, bisexual, trans, queer in the Indigenous community, but a lot of people weren't using Two-Spirit. Duma was one of the people who brought it to our region and started rebuilding that sense of identity around the region. So we collaborated on founding the webinar Two-Spirit Lives because of the need to build all those supports.
0: Go into a bit more detail about the meaning and significance of two-spirit identity.
1: The term two-spirit is a pan-indigenous word that was introduced in 1990 at the Native American LGBTQ international gathering in Winnipeg. And it was brought to the gathering as a way to recenter indigenous perspectives, worldviews, and knowledge around gender and sexuality. There were all kinds of terms that were non-Indigenous that were used within the academy or within literature or in the arts even. And it wasn't centered around our Indigenous ways of being and knowing. So when Myra Laramie came and shared this term, it was well accepted by the Indigenous community because it came from the Indigenous community although it's an english term it was a term that bound our sense of collective identity as indigenous people some people looked at it as a honoring of the male female within the body but other people expanded and included you know the various gendering processes that people go through or the numerous perspectives around genders it's not simply a male female gendering process indigenous folks in different cultures and languages have had terms that they had for Two Spirit, and for us in the Atlantic, we didn't have a word for Two Spirit in Mi'kmaq, and we still don't. We're exploring that, but we'll come to that point in a second. The idea was to then understand, okay, so what is Two Spirit in Mi'kmaq or Wolastoqiyik or let's say the Innu or Quadi, like any of our nations that are part of our ancestral territory. So Two-Spirit, we revisited it, and then I had to look at it from a cultural lens. I delved into a study for my master's to look at what it means from a Mi'kmaq or Unnawe worldview. And I used our cultural lens, such as interconnectedness, our sense of spiritual identity, and our connection to our cultural and land and our surroundings. And I started navigating to try to understand how a person who may have been two-spirit 500 years ago would have tried to navigate their own identity before contact, right? Because we didn't have these words. And if there were words around the region, then they may have been eroded or tabooed into non-existence because of colonial impacts or Christianity and or just fallen out of use because language evolves. So that's part of the journey. That we're looking at is how to identify Two Spirit. And that's part of my academic studies now at McGill with my PhD program. What
0: was involved in practical terms in founding the Wabanaki Two Spirit Alliance?
1: Because we were so impacted, the first thing we had to do was to heal the people who are impacted by the loss of life. And Duma had experience already as a person who attended the gatherings. The first international gathering that was held in the region was at Rexton, New Brunswick, in 1995, and Duma played a key role in that with other Two Spirit, Mi'kmaq, and Wolastoqey folks from the region. And they continue to maintain those friendships and those connections and networking with other Two Spirits across the region and nationally and internationally. So Duma said, "We're just going to have a gathering, and to do so, we needed funding. So Duma, being a professor," and also working with various First Nations in the region. And I was working for the APC, and we mustered enough money to bring people together. And then we also gained support by a research program back then, which provided a little bit of funding for us to ask the question, if we're interested in doing research around two severe needs. And that's how we started. So we came up with this name and then we consolidated at the first regional gathering that took place at Hiscum Lodge in Nova Scotia in 2010. We had 50 people come. It was a four-day ceremony where we had workshops, cultural activities. We had a two-spirit powwow. We had a series of other activities that were culturally bound to have people share our space and to make sure that we provided them with supports, with ceremony, smudging, sweating with dance and music and drumming. All of these were part of the healing journey that we had there. And it was quite powerful. And in one of the sessions, there were 50 people in a sharing circle, sharing their experiences as two spirits. They talked about coming out. They talked about some of the challenges that they faced. And the common theme that emerged was that people, during their process of coming out, had dealt with it alone or dealt with it with family. But then they also had some distresses that had caused perhaps even suicide ideation or attempts to suicide. And that was extremely impactful on the group. And we had to address that right then. But then we also looked at it as a source of hope as well and a sense of resiliency.
0: What kinds of activities has the Alliance engaged in over the decade plus since then?
1: We didn't have any money. So we had the resources of knowledge. We had the resources of people. We had the resources of language and culture. With those elements and with our leadership, we started developing proposals. The proposals were mainly at first for gatherings. The immediate in the first two settings was to build capacity around assist training for suicide prevention for our youth and for our folks who may be impacted by suicide and correlated problems or issues with addictions, for example, with mental health. So we needed to look for those resources first. And we found funding through various initiatives that exist around the region. And with that, we started having the gatherings as workshops and knowledge sharing places. So that was the first part. Then later we started looking at, okay, so who can do drumming workshops? Who can do beating workshops? Who can do workshops around doing regalia? You know, different things that have to do with cultural preservation and resurgence, because there are a lot of traditions that were Preventing Two Spirits from being in their circles and in their ceremonies. So we had to do a lot of workshop and cultural awareness around our First Nation communities, but also outside of the First Nation communities within the mainstream populations in the urban centers, for example. So part of the process that we've been doing for the last 10 years plus is relationship building. We're founded on the model of treaty and treaty education and treaty relations. We followed the peace and friendship ideology where we have to work together to make things happen. For you to be better and for me to be better, we have to collaborate. So that's what we did. We started approaching all these organizations like the Youth Project, like Halifax Pride, like New Glasgow's Pride, places in Newfoundland and Labrador with the friendship centers, with all of the organizations that have to do with Indigenous tribal services. We went out and made probably 20 or 30 presentations per year to different organizations to express who we are and what we can do to collaborate and then partner into developing projects and to build supports for Two-Spirit folks around the region. Just last year, we finally applied for funding through the federal ministry for women and gender equality, and we were successful. So that was a game changer. That allowed us to expand and even hire people for the first time.
0: Let's talk in a little more detail about just a couple of the areas of the Alliance's work. What has your knowledge sharing involved, and why is it an important part of what you do?
1: In our early days of research, we saw that there was hardly any knowledge around Two-Spirit around our region. So we had to really dig to understand what's going on with Two-Spirit folks. Even at the national level, the amount of data around wellness and well-being and mental health and addictions around Two-Spirit folks is very low. So we're slowly changing that because we're trying to address those issues. So that's one part of the knowledge sharing part is to let people know, hey, we're here to collaborate on research. We're here to collaborate on sharing who we are to your organizations because they're allies, they're peer organizations, and they have a deep interest to know more about how they could also provide better services to true spirit folks. So that was part of the knowledge sharing. Then as we got better at the research process, We then started to capture more specific needs. For example, the trans two-spirit community had shared their experiences with the barriers they faced, not only in getting proper assessment and treatment and support, but also follow-up treatment after the fact. We're not a service-providing organization. We provide, let's say, how to navigate the system. We carry people through the process and we help them at the other end. And we also provide supports to the organizations that do receive them because they would need more cultural sensitivity and safety training around Indigenous issues and trans and two spirit issues. One of the things we did last year was to do a COVID response survey, and we learned quite detailed information around the impacts of COVID. We repeated the survey a year later, and then we managed to submit a manuscript for publication based on that study. But also our report is coming out in a week or so that outlines some of those issues that we found. And some of the data that came from that is influential in helping us determine, okay, what direction we can take this to our peer support networks, but also to our folks within the Indigenous community and then for ourselves as an alliance in Gearingar organization towards priorities that are specific for trans support. Our peer organizations around the region are very supportive in receiving information from us. They're ready to shift their services to better acquaint to the needs of the community. An example of that would be in the 10 years that we've been building our relations with the mainstream 2SLGBTQQIA plus community, Halifax Pride has come a long way when we first started about 10 years ago, Halifax Pride would say, um, could we get someone from the W2SA come and do a land acknowledgement? Today, now we have a space in Pride while we put up a teepee and we have our own space of doing various workshops. So we've gone from doing land acknowledgements, and we were sort of saying, OK, well, let's you know push the boundaries every time. And we did. so. Every year, something new comes up, a new level of relationship building happens. The leadership and the pride board had always been very open, learning more about Two-Spirit needs. So that's been an ongoing thing. It doesn't happen overnight. Part of the process is the trust building and the knowledge sharing about our needs, about the spaces we require, and about giving us the adequate space respectfully and meaningfully at these larger mainstream events.
0: What has the Alliance's advocacy work looked like?
1: In the last year and a half, we've been collaborating with the national need to look at the missing and murdered Indigenous women and two-spirit folks. I represented the W W2SA as the interim executive director, but also as an advocate at this table where we looked at specifically how the cost of justice need to be addressed at various levels of government, at various levels of society. There are two spirit specific causes of justice, and there's 32 of those. So, we've been collaborating with all these great leaders across Canada who are elders and knowledge holders and academics to share on a weekly basis with the folks from various intergovernmental levels and intertribal organizations, even with the AFN, for example, Native Women's Association of Canada, and Two Spirits in Motion. The list goes on of all the organizations that were collaborating at this table. The two spirit advocacy to shift that narrow-sightedness to broaden the scope of the needs that, for example, Canada has to have when it comes to 2 spirits but also our community. So that's why we're collaborating and making sure that the Assembly of First Nations understands that we have to have two-spirits at all the levels of advocacy in the organization. There's a Council for Youth, there's an Elders Council, and a Women's Council. We should have a two-spirit council at the AFN. So we're advocating through our regional chief here, who's very supportive. We're hoping that that can be something that will bring a positive outcome by having a two-spirit council there. But then that'll have to trickle back down to our region. And we have to look at how our two-spirit organization can be recognized as the advocacy organization of the region. We're not asking. We're letting them know that we're doing that. So that's our approach through self-determination as two-spirit folks here. And the other thing that we're trying to get at through advocacy and research is to make sure that people know what our needs are. So we need to improve data management and data capturing tools that understand that Two-Spirit is an identity and that identity is Indigenous. So we have to make sure that we advocate for those changes. The WebMAC Two-Spirit Alliance recently is developing a ethics process. So, we're going to have our own ethics approval process so that any of the research that comes our way, we can collaborate. And we would collaborate with Mi'kmaq Ethics Watch and other intertribal organizations around the region so that they understand what our perspectives are that are gendered and also based on sexuality and sexual health and mental health and everything else that has to do with our well being. And we have to make sure that our governments here, provincially, federally, and also First Nations leadership. Understand that we need to capture these tools at all levels so that we would have clearer data for our needs.
0: What would you say has been the biggest or most significant change over the course of the decade and more of work by the Alliance and by your many
1: allies and collaborators? There's two things I'd like to talk about. One is that our elders are supportive of our process, elders that have been impacted by Indian residential schools and Indian day schools have not had the chance to learn about the concept of two-spirit or anything related or what may have been used as a term before two-spirit. But people knew people were in our communities who were two-spirit. They may have not known that that was the term, but they knew in their families that people were gay, lesbian, bi, trans, or queer in their communities. They've seen them in their families. They knew who they were, their grandchildren, their uncles and aunts. They protected them. They loved them. They nurtured them. But they couldn't provide any cultural awareness or cultural sharing or teachings with them because they didn't exist. So, elders in the last 10 years that we've been working with them have been saying, okay, so if those ceremonies don't exist, if those teachings don't exist, how can we reproduce them then? They're the ones that are saying, reproduce these teachings, look for them, find them, and share them back to our youth. The other big thing that I'll share with our process is that in the 10 years that we've been working and making people aware that there are services out there. There is someone to talk to when you're in distress. The number of suicides that we've heard through oral tradition around the region has dramatically dropped. So that's an important consideration. And the fact that more people are coming out younger indicates that people are feeling safer in their community. I'll share about Eskizonia First Nation, for example, that had the crisis back in 2008 and 2009 about, you know, the suicide now has a two-spirit organization called Get Me DLC in Eskazoni. It's their own organization. They're the ones that founded it. They had a pride activity in their community. They have you know, a two-spirit powwow. They do all kinds of things that are wonderful for people to be seen, felt, and acknowledged in our community. So those are huge things. Picto Landing, just a month ago, had their first pride march in the community. We had seen that also in Burn Church in New Brunswick. So these are all little little things that are happening with huge impacts for you to see.
0: You have been listening to my interview with John R. Sillaboy of the Wabanaki Two-Spirit Alliance. To learn more about the organization, go to w2sa.ca. That's w2sa.ca. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show.